If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to take them and join me in the 50th chapter of the book of Genesis, please. Genesis chapter number 50. And uh, we have been journeying through the life of Joseph, and we're so near the end of uh, this story. And the Lord has taught me so much, and I hope that it's been a help to you as well in your Christian walk and uh, your Christian journey. And uh, we're going to come to a, a very, very difficult subject today. Last week, we talked about how to die. And uh, we, of course, we're talking about how to leave this life. And uh, that was sort of how to die physically. Uh, but today, if you're going to get a hold of the truth that we find here, you're going to have to die as well. <laughs> you're going to have to die to self. I've heard some people say, I'd rather die than forgive this person or that person. And so you'll have to make the determination whether you're willing uh, to get right with the Lord and to get right with others. But I want to preach to you a message this morning that I've entitled, Forgive Like Joseph. Forgive Like Joseph. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 50, beginning our reading in verse number 15, and when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us. And will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And so they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, Forgive the trespasses of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. I read of a, a little tourist shop that was in a place that folks would like to travel. And someone went in there one day and they noticed, you know, lots of little things that have little slogans or statements on it. And they came across a button in that particular tourist shop. And here's what the button read. It read this, to err is human, comma, to forgive is out of the question. To err is human, to forgive is out of the question. That might put a little smile on your face, maybe a little bit of a chuckle when you think about it. But I hope, I hope that you don't live that way. That's the way the world lives. That's the way unsaved and ungodly people live. But that is not the way that God's people ought to live. Did you know that one of the best known, most familiar verses or passages of Scripture in all the Bible is at the same time one of the least heeded verses in all of the Bible? Paul wrote these words in Ephesians 4 and verse number 32. Some of you could quote them with me without even looking at the screen. And be ye kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Some of you could quote that in your, in your sleep, but my, is that so hard to do, isn't it? You know, James uh, wrote in his epistle, he, he wrote these words. He said, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, 
deceiving your own selves. Isn't it true that we've heard that verse, we've quoted that verse many times, we're familiar with that verse, we've heard that verse, but how many of us actually do or put into practice what that verse teaches? To be kind, to be tender-hearted, to be forgiving toward one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I, I don't know about you, but I struggle with that. I'm really good at hearing that verse. I'm really good at expecting others to practice that verse, but sometimes I don't want to practice that verse. Sometimes I don't want to do what is found there. I don't want to be tender-hearted. I don't want to be forgiving. I want to hold on to the grudges. I want to hold on to the bitterness. I want to hold on to my anger and my frustration towards other people. In our text, we find in here in Genesis 50, just after the death of Jacob, that Joseph's brothers, seems as if they fell into a sort of a self-preservation mode here in this text. They falsely assumed that Joseph was, was simply biding his time. He was simply waiting for his father to die. And as soon as Jacob was gone, as soon as Jacob was dead, then Joseph was going to get back at his brothers. That's what his brothers were, were thinking. That was what was going through their mind. But listen, they could not, they could not be further off in, in their assumption of who Joseph was. And that isn't all that surprising because Joseph has been different every step of the way, hasn't he? He has been so unlike uh, what most men are, are like. He has set an example in so many areas. He has always been, he has always displayed for us a life of certain integrity and certain character. His life has been pleasing to the Lord and it consistently aligns with biblical principles and teaching. As we examine this portion of scripture, I, as I was reading, as I was studying, and I thought to myself, you know, there's some, there's some good things that I see in this verse concerning Joseph's brothers, and then there's some bad things that I see, and that's pretty normal about all of us. If you were to take a close enough look at me, if you were to spend a week or so with me, you would come away with some positives, and you certainly would come away with some negatives. And if I were to spend a week with you, I mean, living in your home and, and going with you to work and driving in your car and, and, uh, and, and, and seeing you in all of those various contexts, I no doubt would, would, would probably find some positives in your life, some good things, and then I would find probably some negatives, some bad things in your life as well. I'm thinking to myself that Joseph probably wrestled with several things. I, I wonder if he wrestled with the timing of all of this. I mean, I mean, as we, as we might say it, uh, Jacob's, Jacob's body was, was, would had just been placed in the grave, and now all of a sudden, his brothers are coming to him, and they're giving him this message. And I'm thinking to myself, if I'm Joseph, you know, guys, can we, uh, can, can we, can we get a little bit of grief in before we, we, before we begin down this road? And I'm, I'm thinking to myself that they didn't come to him themselves. They sent a servant. They sent a messenger, the Bible says. And then I don't know about you, the Bible, never, the Bible never tells us whether the message from the messenger had actually been said by Jacob. You know, we, we, we looked at the text, and, and, and Jacob was pretty lucid towards the end of his life. He, he had all of his sons around him, and he had a chance to communicate whatever it was that he wanted to communicate to them. And it seems odd to me that Joseph had not heard him say the exact words that are recorded for us here in the text. Is it possible these men being deceitful and conniving as we know them to be, is it possible that perhaps maybe they put words in their father's mouth as it relates? Did he, did he really say what they claimed he said here in this message? The Bible doesn't tell us. We may never know. 
But I think all of these things are interesting. And I think they perhaps left Joseph sort of scratching his head just a bit. On the other hand, there are some positives. If they made up this message, the Bible is pretty clear that they acknowledged with this message that what they had done to him all those years prior, that it was sinful, it was evil, and it was wicked. We do find that they followed the messenger, and the Bible says that when they came into his presence, the Bible says that they fell down, verse number 18, before his face, and they also proclaimed them to be his servants. So again, I see, I see plenty that would cause Joseph to sort of scratch his head and wonder and, and wonder, you know, have these guys really learned their lesson or is this all just calculated and conniving to, uh, to, to preserve their own lives? And on the other hand, I see some good things. I mean, it's good when a man sins for him to call it what it is. It's good for him to call it sin. It's good for him to call it evil and wickedness. It's good for a man to fall down on his face before those that he has offended in, in, a, in a, a humility and a posture of, uh, of repentance. It's good, it's good for a man to look at his superior and say, hey, listen, I'm just here to serve. So I, I find some good and I find some negative. And, and, and you know what we, we oftentimes tend to do when we're in a position where someone is coming to us and they're asking for forgiveness we, you know what we do? We oftentimes try to determine sincerity. And I'm sure, I'm sure that Joseph probably wondered just how sincere his brothers were. And you know, the, the problem is we determine that if I cannot find true sincerity, if I don't feel this is genuine and this is authentic, then I have within me the right to forbid uh, or, or, or to, to, to not forgive them. In many respects, that's oftentimes how we handle things. We, we look at it like, listen, if, if I feel like you're not being sincere, you know, some of the things you said, the way you said it, you didn't say everything that I, I wanted you to say. Therefore, I'm going to withhold forgiveness from you. You ever find yourself in that type of a position, in that type of a situation? And so Joseph perhaps is working through all of this and wondering about just how sincere these, these brothers are and, and what they're saying and the way they're saying it. And he's weighing the pros and he's against the cons and all of these things are, are, are going through his mind. But here's the point. The point is this. They didn't need to come to him. He had already forgiven them. He had already released this from his, from his hand and from his care. He had already given it over to the Lord. You know, all of us have experienced moments in our lives in which we need forgiveness. At the same time, we've experienced moments in our lives in which we've needed to forgive others. Maybe one of the hardest things you ever have to do is to look at someone who has wronged you, someone who has offended you, and to tell them, I forgive you. I do not hold this over your head any longer. We're good. And that's exactly what Joseph does in our text. It's exactly what so many of us perhaps need to do in order to find healing and to find peace in our lives. Joseph's forgiveness in our text, to me, it's a great challenge as I read it. It's a great challenge to, to me as I see this because, listen, I don't suppose, I don't suppose anyone in life will ever, listen, will ever wrong me to the extent that Joseph was harmed and wronged. I mean, you'd have to, you'd have to do a lot of awful things to me to get to that level. And yet, how often do I withhold forgiveness for such lesser offenses? But then I, I recall to your attention Ephesians 4.32. You remember, you remember what the impetus for forgiveness is in Ephesians 4.32? 
In other words, why should, why should I forgive? God tells us why you should forgive. Even as God, for Christ's sake, have forgiven you. I, I know this. I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. No one, no one in this life will ever, will ever wrong me to the extent that I have wronged and hurt God. You see, I do it every day. If I'm honest with myself, probably multiple times a day in which I know what God's word says, I know what it teaches, and, 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 I, and I know what I ought not to do, and yet I do it anyways. Or on the flip side, the Bible also says to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So sometimes I, it's not so much about what I do that is wrong, but it's what I don't do that I know is right. And I sin against God on a daily basis, many times, most of the time, multiple times a day, and yet, what do I find with God? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The reality is, as we look at Joseph here in this text, this isn't really forgive like Joseph. This is forgive like Jesus. Joseph, as we said over and over again, is a is a, is, a, is a picture in the Old Testament of Jesus. It's a, it's a pre-incarnate picture. It's, it's Jesus before he ever comes on the scene. And what we find in Joseph's life, we find so many similarities to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we find that certainly in this realm of forgiveness. I, I want to encourage you and help you understand, if you're going to forgive like Joseph, you're going to have to learn these truths. Number one, you're going to have to acknowledge, as Joseph did, that you are not the judge. You must acknowledge that you are not the judge. Now, now look what Joseph said. When they came to him, they brought this message to him. They fell down on their faces, and he's sitting here going, are these guys sincere or not? Look what Joseph says in verse number 19. Joseph said unto them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? You know what Joseph, you know what Joseph came to the realization of? Joseph came to the realization, I'm not God. And because I'm not God, I'm not the judge of these men. You know, Abraham called God the judge of all the earth in Genesis 18 and verse number 25. Joseph's forgiveness here, his spirit of forgiveness, is rooted in the fact that he had a clear understanding of who he was, and he had even a better understanding of who God was. Joseph understood God is God, and he is the judge, and I am not. Therefore, therefore, I, I, don't, I don't sit in a, in, a, in a seat of condemnation over these people because I'm not the judge. Here's what you're going to have to understand as it relates to letting go of hurts and offenses that are, that are, that are great and that are, uh, that, that are so painful in our lives. Number one, you're going to have to understand that there are some things that only God can judge. There, there are just some matters that only God can judge. Now, now I, I have... I have um, you know, children in my home, and one periodically, one one child will will say something negative about their sibling, and I'll look at that child and I'll say, "Is this true?" You know, it's like he started it; it was his fault. You know, whatever. And then that child will immediately respond, "No, they they start they did this, they did that," and and I'm sitting here and I'm sitting here going, "I have no idea who to believe." Some of you, you're better parents than me, and you, you can look into the soul of your child, and you can know every time they're lying. I, I, either my kids are really good liars, or I just don't have that gift and that ability. 
So there are times in which the only, the only thing that I can do is look at both of them and say, knock it off. Both of you, you're both going to be in trouble. Because I don't know who's at fault, right? And, and, and that's, a, that's a, a small illustration. Periodically is, you know, a pastor, I deal with bigger things. And I'll sit with people in my office and, and it's a he said, she said type of a situation. Both of them have their side of the story. Both of them have compelling arguments to give. Both of them have something damning to say about the other person. And I'll have to sit there and say, well, I, I really don't know what to say here. I really don't know who's at fault. I feel like, you know, you could have handled some things better, and I feel like you could have handled some things better. But at the end of the day, listen, at the end of the day, I'm not the judge. And at the end of the day, listen, there are some things that only God can judge. Some of you, you're holding on to things, and you've held on to them for years. And you've, you, you've looked for ways in which you can extract revenge. And I'm just here to remind you, listen, there are some, there are some matters that only God can deal with. On, on, the, on the flip side, some of you, you did something years ago, and, and, and no, one has ever, no one has ever been able to pin you down on it. And I just want you to know something. Every one of us are going to stand before God someday. God will judge. God will deal with these things. And by the way, he's a whole lot better at it than I am. There are some matters that only God can judge. There are sometimes we come to a matter and we just can't figure it out. We, we, we don't know who was wrong and who was right. But there are some things in which we deal with someone has hurt us and someone has offended us and it feels like they're getting away with it. It seems like they're thriving and everything is wonderful. And it's at that point that I have to just release it to God and just say, God, you're the judge. There are some things that I, I can't deal with. You're gonna have to deal with this one. This one is beyond me. I say, secondly, if you're going to acknowledge you're not the judge, that is to acknowledge that there are some things that only God can judge. But number two, can I say this? You're going to have to also resist the impulse to usurp God's role as judge. That's what Joseph was doing here. And Joseph was understanding, listen, what you did to me, there's nothing that I could do down here to help you to learn your lesson. I'm going to have to leave this in God's hands. And then Joseph, listen, Joseph resisted the urge because it's so natural within every one of us to get back. You know, to, you know, to take that pound of flesh, that eye for an eye. No, no, listen, they're, they're, you're just gonna have to resist. You have to resist the urge to usurp God's role as judge. You know, many times as human beings, we like to think about what we would do if we were God. Aren't you so glad you're not God? And if I was God, I would have made such a mess out of things. I would have destroyed everything. I'm so glad I'm not him. I mean, truly, I'm so thankful. But you know, sometimes I play, I play a little game like that. Well, what would I do? You know, this person has offended me. God, why haven't you, why haven't you taken them out yet? Why, why haven't you done this? Or why haven't you done that? You know, we, we, we sometimes play a game. We'll say, we'll say things like this. Well, if I were God, I would do this or I would do that. Can I just remind you, that's a dangerous game to play. It's a dangerous practice. And here's why. Because the Bible tells us it is impossible for us to even think like God thinks. Here's what the Bible says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Well, that's good. That's good. That's a helpful reminder for us. 
He says, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, just get that, get that thought out of your mind. If I were God, I would do this, or I would do that. Or if I were God, this is what I would have worked out, or what I would not have worked out. Just get that out of your mind, because listen, his thoughts are much, much higher than our thoughts. His ways are much greater than our ways. The Bible says in Ezekiel 18 and verse number 29, yet saith the house of Israel. So the house of Israel was saying these words, the way of the Lord is not equal. We would say it like this, the way of God isn't fair. This isn't fair what's happening. And the children of Israel were literally saying that in Ezekiel's day, they were saying that about God. You know what God has done here isn't fair. Listen to what God has to say about that. Oh, house of Israel, are not my ways equal? Oh, listen, I am, I am very right. I am very fair. I do things perfectly. And then he says, are not your ways unequal? Listen, you and I, when we start to think, when we start to think about God being not fair, God looks at us and God says, I know exactly what I'm doing. And if you were to have your way, you would do everything wrong. And so you have to resist, and I'm gonna have to resist the, the impulse to usurp God's role as judge. That's exactly what Joseph did here. Joseph was a man like you and me who had suffered great harm at the hand of his brothers. He likely had some strong opinions on what probably should happen to these, these men. He kept those things to himself. He forgave them. And he understood, I am not in the place of God. And as a result, I'm not in a position to judge these guys. And I know my flesh wants to judge them. My, my flesh wants to come down hard on them, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to resist the natural impulse that dwells within all of us to usurp God's role as judge. But notice, secondly, if you're going to forgive like Joseph, not only are you going to acknowledge you're not the judge, but number two, you're going to have to look for the hand of God in your hurt. You're going to have to look for the hand of God in your hurt. Look at verse number 20. He said, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And Joseph acknowledged that they had hurt him deeply. There's no question about that. This isn't, this isn't Joseph saying, no, you, you guys didn't do anything. This isn't Joseph overlooking their faults. No, he's acknowledging that they had hurt him. He said that you had thought evil against me. You were trying to destroy me. How do we respond when someone we know we're in a relationship with thinks evil against us and might even advance to the level of doing evil against us? Most of us experience some of these stages of grief when we've been offended or hurt in this way. It begins with hurt. Then sometimes there's a period of sadness. Why would they do this to me? Why, why, would, they, why, why would they bring such difficulty into my life? And then it, then it transitions into what is known as anger. And then usually, listen, usually anger takes over, and, and if it's not dealt with, it normally leads to vengeance. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something to get back at them. They've hurt me, they've wounded me, so now I'm going to hurt them. I'm going to wound them. Joseph's story illustrates that there's something better we can do in our hurt than simply just be sad and angry and then vengeful. Now here's what we should do. We can and we should look for the evidence of the hand of God at work 
in our lives during these moments. Do, do we believe the Bible or don't we? Romans 8, 20, 28 says, and we know, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. Do, you know, we, we believe in a Bible that is inspired by God. Every single word is inspired by God. Therefore, that word all is given to us by God. It means everything. So often, so often we, we come to a period of hurt in our life and frustration in our life, and we want to we, we wanna act as if Romans 8.28 is not even in the Bible. And yet we know, don't we, Christians, church family, don't we know that all things work together for good? Even your sadness, even your hurt, even your bitterness, even your uh, frustrations that you have allowed to, uh, to take over your life, don't you even understand that it's in those moments that our God has the power and the authority to even turn that into some good? Now, I want you to notice that if we're, if we're, if we're going to really see the hand of God at work in our hurt, we're going to have to exhibit two really, really challenging characteristics that are so oppositional to our flesh. Number one, number one, we're gonna have to be patient. We're gonna have to be patient. I want you to think with me about Joseph's story. When Joseph was hurt and offended by his brothers, he was 17 years old. When, when he was finally, listen, when he was finally able to see, oh, here's what God was doing, he was 30. So for 13 years, Joseph was sort of in a state of, of fog, as it were. He was, he was trusting in the Lord. He was believing in the Lord. But he couldn't, he couldn't connect all of the dots. I don't know why I'm in Egypt. I don't know why I'm living in Potiphar's house. I don't know why Potiphar's wife is trying to get me to be immoral with her. I don't know why she lied about me. And, and I don't know why I'm sitting in this jail. And, and listen, he had, he had more questions than answers for 13 years in his life. And I'm just simply saying, listen, in, in, in some respects, you may not be able to see the hand of God immediately. You're going to have to be patient. You have to wait on the Lord. You're, you're just going to have to, you have to give, it, give it over to him for, uh, for a period of time. Here's, 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 what I, here's what I'm trying to say. Listen, it takes time for a planted rose to bloom. It takes time for snow and ice to melt and for green grass to sprout. It takes time for an artist to put the finishing touches on his canvas, revealing a beautiful portrait. And it sometimes takes God some time to truly reveal the good that he is working in our lives, even in our hurt. So you best be patient. Problem is, is we struggle with patience, don't we? I mean, we want what we want right away. I saw, I saw just the other day a video of a, man sitting at a stoplight, and right in front of him was a student driver. The light was red, and I mean, as soon as that light turned green, that guy slammed on his horn, honking as loud as he could. I think he was trying to rattle the student driver just a little bit, right? So he said, I would never do something like that. Well, I'd hope not. I hope you never do something like that. But if you're like anything like me, if he's got about two seconds to get that car in gear, <laughs> To get that car moving, and if he doesn't, that horn's coming. You know, that, that's, that's just a silly, silly picture of just our lack of patience, isn't it? Well, we want, we want things right away. 
You know, I ordered, I ordered that thing from Amazon about three hours ago. Why isn't it on my doorstep yet? And I'm just, I'm just simply saying, listen, God does not work on our time. And so if we're gonna, if we're gonna see the hand of God in our hurt, we're gonna have to be patient. Some of you, you're still waiting. You've got, you've got some hurt. You've got some wounds and some offenses. And, 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 and here's, here's what I'm saying. Listen, give, let, let it go. Understand you are not the judge. And look, look for the hand of God. You say, I can't see the hand of God yet. Well, Joseph couldn't see it for 13 years. But he got to a point where eventually he could. You wait on God as well. You be patient and trust the Lord. Why should you, or what should you do, I should say, while you're waiting for God to reveal what he is doing in your life. There's only one thing you can do, and that is to trust him. The Bible says in Job 13, verse number 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. Some of you just need to maintain your ways. Just keep doing the right thing. He also shall be my salvation. Job 23, in verse number eight, Job said, behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him on the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job is saying, I'm in the middle of this trial and I can't see the good hand of God at work in my life. I can't see it, but I know this. I know he sees me. I may not be able to see him, but he sees me. His hand is on my life, and he is leading me in a clear direction. And when this trial is over, I shall come forth as gold. Proverbs 20, verse number 22 says, Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. Can I say not only are you going to have to be patient if you're going to see the hand of God at work in your life, but number two, you're gonna to have to be selfless. You're gonna to have to be selfless. Look what Joseph says at the end of verse number 20. Ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to put me on a throne, living in a palace, holding a, a royal scepter and having all of this power and all of this authority. Is that what he says? That's not what he says. He says, God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. You know what? Joseph came to the point where he, he understood that what God was trying to accomplish in all of this was not just to lift Joseph up out of this pit of self-pity and hurt and frustration, but Joseph came to the acknowledgement, oh, this is way more than just about me sitting on a throne, living in a palace and having lots of nice things and being really famous and powerful and wealthy and, and having all of the things that people normally dream about. No, he said, this isn't about me. God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day. Look around you. Look at all the people that are still alive today. God brought this hurt into my life to save much people alive. You have to be selfless. See, see, this isn't this isn't about me. This isn't about this isn't about you. This isn't about me just feeling better. Because sometimes that's the way we look at it. I just want to get to a point where I don't have to I don't have to feel bad about this anymore. And it's all about me, me, me. No, Joseph said, listen, God did all of this not to make me feel better, but God put me in this position to save the whole world, to save much people alive. 
If you're going to see the hand of God at work in your life, you're going to have to take your eyes off of yourself. And you're going to have to put your eyes on others and understand that sometimes God brings hurt. God brings, so allows some frustration into our lives. God allows some wounding in our lives for the sake of others so that others can see what God is doing or perhaps so that we can be in a better place to be able to minister to them. If you're going to forgive like Joseph, number one, you have to acknowledge that you're not the judge. Number two, you're going to have to look for the hand of God in your hurt. And finally and thirdly, you're going to have to stop the cycle. Stop the cycle. Would you look in verse 21? Now therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. In his book, Lee, The Last Years, Charles Bracelin Flood reports that after the Civil War, Robert E. Lee visited a Kentucky lady who took him outside of her home to the remains of a grand old tree in the front of her house. There she cried out in bitter frustration and tears that its limbs and trunk had been absolutely destroyed by federal artillery fire. She looked to the great General Robert E. Lee for a word condemning the North, or at the very least, sympathizing with her loss. After a brief period of silence, Lee looked at her, and he said, Cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. You know, it's better, it's better for us to forgive the injustices of the past than to allow those things to remain and to allow them to take bitterness or allow bitterness into our lives to take root and poison the rest of our life. Listen, sometimes here's what we need to do. We need to just simply cut it down and forget about it. Stop the cycle. You know, we live in a world that responds to hurt with hurt. Someone once said this, that hurt people hurt people. So in other words, people who are hurt oftentimes just naturally have a hard time not hurting others. Well, you've wounded me, or these people have wounded me, therefore it's okay for me to wound others and to do damage to others. Most families and relationships, it, it, it's sort of like this. This is how the home, this is how the home works. Sometimes it's even how the church works. We, 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 we find that there are acts of love that are responded to with other acts of love. So as long as everybody is just loving each other, then it's, there's harmony in the home. And there's peace in the home. But you, you know how temporal that is, don't you? You know how, you know how that, that, could be, that could be this way at 8 a.m. And by 8 p.m., man, it's World War III in the house, right? Most, most homes, it features, okay, you showed me an act of love, therefore I'm gonna show you an act of love. On the flip side, what's so dangerous about that? Well, on the flip side, in most homes, acts of evil are responded to with other acts of evil. The negative, listen, the negative side of this cycle is vicious and ultimately, listen, ultimately leads to destruction, not only of the relationship of the people that are involved. In Joseph's case, his brothers had betrayed him and they had sold him. They had stabbed him in the back. They had hurt him. Whatever, whatever phrase you want to attach to it, they had done it. If he were to perpetuate this cycle now that he was in a position of authority and able to extract revenge, he would find some way that was worse than what they had done to him and he would do it to them. That's how this works. And that's what these guys are thinking. 
We did this to him all those years ago. I mean, decades have passed since this all happened, and yet this is front of their minds when their father dies. Hey, our dad said, don't, don't, don't hurt us. Most, most people, most people would have been waiting for Jacob to die. Now he's gone? Okay, now it's my time. I've, been, I've had 40 years to plan this. This is gonna be amazing. This is gonna make me feel so much better about the situation. Listen, listen, if you're going to forgive like Joseph, you're gonna have to stop the cycle. You're gonna have to understand, yeah, yeah, they hurt me. But what good does it do for me to in turn hurt them? No, no, instead, I'm gonna show kindness to them. I'm gonna show love to them. And that's exactly what Joseph did right here. In other words, he ended the game right here. He stopped the cycle. He, he, he promised, he says, I'm not gonna revenge, uh, get revenge on you. Instead, I'm gonna nourish you and I'm gonna speak kindly to you and I'm gonna comfort you and I'm gonna look after you. Oh yeah, you, you did all of these evil and wicked things to me and I suppose, I suppose in my flesh I could retaliate, but that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop the cycle. Try it sometime. Try it sometime. Go to work tomorrow. There's that, there's that person, and they're just, you know, they're just that thorn in your side. Normally, they'll say something cutting to you, and you've, you know, you've got an insult or two to sling back at them. Tomorrow, instead of giving them a sling or ins- slinging an insult, speak kindly to them. Comfort them. Tell them, hey, listen, I want you to know I'm praying for you, and I'm glad I get to work with you here. God's using you in my life to produce more patience. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that we get to work together. Maybe don't say that, but. Listen, listen Joseph's brothers, they, they anticipated revenge. They anticipated slavery. They might have even anticipated worse. I thought, you know, he's in, a position, he's in a position to kill us if he wants to. But instead, here's what they got. They got nourishment, comfort, and kind words. Who does, who does Joseph look like in all of this? Well, we know. The Bible says about Jesus, for even hereunto were you called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile or deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, when he was falsely accused, when he was spoken of evil against, he reviled not again. You know, he did, he stopped the cycle. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. The next chapter, Peter writes these words in verses eight and nine. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love his brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. You know what he's saying? He's saying stop the cycle. Husbands, listen, when your wife hurts you, don't hurt her back. Stop the cycle. Wives, when your wife, when, when your husband hurts you, which is probably gonna happen a whole lot more than wives hurting their husbands, just, just love them. Stop the cycle. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. 
Listen, the challenge is not to forgive like Joseph, but it's really to forgive like Jesus. There's some folks here today who need to forgive. That's what you need. That's the need of your hour. You need to forgive and move beyond some of the hurts and some of the pains and some of the offenses and some of the frustrations that some folks, maybe even in this very room today, have brought into your life. If you're going to do that, listen, you're going to need to carefully consider that you are not the judge. You're going to have to look for the hand of God in your hurt. And you're going to have to intentionally, purposefully stop the cycle. On the other hand, there's some folks in this room today who need forgiveness. I can't promise you, I cannot promise you the person that you have offended is going to forgive like Joseph or forgive like Jesus. But here's what I can promise you. I can promise you there is forgiveness with our Savior. If you'll come to him today, the spirit of humility, and you'll acknowledge what you've done, and you'll repent of it, and you'll turn from it, you will find, listen, you will find a fresh start at the feet of Jesus. You'll find that, as thousands of others have found it, not only in this church, but in many churches just like it. There is forgiveness that is available. You may not get that forgiveness from the person that you have offended or that you have hurt. You may, you may be to, here today and the person who's offended you and hurt you is, may, may never come to you and acknowledge what they've done, but I want you to know something. You can be right with the Lord today. And I'm praying, I'm praying that no one will leave this place with something between your soul and the Savior.